transportation, education, infrastructure, shapes, legs, brains, toys, and trains. Anti-cognitive fossilization, sedentary sedation, seeds, needs, traffic bleeds, floating through the reeds, classroom, hallway, hallway, classroom, hallway, highway, seeds, peas, pods. And I'm going to take a bow after that. <laughs> Is that what you were doing in the room? No, no, I've, I've had that prepared for days. Oh, interesting. What type of poem is that? That's a poem that I call the list poem. The list poem. I've always okay. loved these like lyrics, like songs that are just listing things and poems that just list things. Mm -hmm. So I thought since today's episode is about two topics, which are so each so broad, mm -hmm. I just try and list them together in a, in a poem. Lovely. Today's kind of an introduction to two mini topics within the wider semester of degrowth, mm -hmm. those being transportation and education. Yeah, I anticipate that in the future we'll have entire semesters on what solo scene education will look like. So definitely a teaser, but it'll be fun to talk about because these are the things that we love talking about. And I just had this this image in my head of like a sidewalk, which is kind of a conveyor belt, mm. which is kind of like the conveyor belt from kindergarten to graduation. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you know, movement. We move through space, we move through time, we age in such a in such a manner. Certainly. The school is the city, the city the school, hallway, highway, hmm. seeds, peas. I don't know where the peas come in, but maybe moving on from the poem. Okay, sure. Not, not to cut you short, do you want to start on transportation or education? We can start with transportation. I'll explain my peas. Okay, thank peas you. Peas grow in pods. Yes. Pods are something that I think we can, in the future, mm. move around in. Pea pods. Sustainable. Something like, something <laughs> like that. Or like, um, I really wanted to address this particular area of the episode, the transportation part, like an alien. Okay. So like an alien coming down to Earth and just assessing what's going on. Mm. All the different ways in which we traverse. Yes. Because we have so many biases. I mean, even you and I have so many biases. We love trains. Yes. We love buses, we love bicycles, we hate cars, but it's getting old at this point. Mm. This, this shtick that we have. So I feel like we should just, you know, look at it with some fresh eyes. I think that's a great Because place. too often, we never change our minds on anything. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to start out just with a list of transportation, and we can kind of assess each one, you know, by its own merits. Before we get into that, just that there isn't a ton of, like, degrowth-specific literature on transportation... There's a few different articles that I read in preparation for this episode, but really we're talking about solacine transportation. We're looking through a degrowth lens. Yes. And some of the issues that I want to quickly spit out about transportation that currently exists, then as we assess the different ones, maybe we can compare them against these parameters. But there's six of them. One is that it's just inefficient use of space. Definitely. What do you mean by that? Too spread out? Everything's too spread out. The roads are so chunky and... Sometimes roads are really nonsensical. It's like you could just have one road instead of like four different roads to the same place. Also, obviously, parking lots. I hate parking yes, lots. Yes, parking. Yeah, that's like the main thing. I didn't... Yeah, parking. Because it's like, yeah, there's the roads. But there's also... 
millions of cars that need places to live in your driveway, but also like a few different places. And I don't think it's just one squared off car space. Mm-hmm. You have a bunch that you need. So space, parking is another issue. And the grumpiness that comes with parking is one that was often talked about in the degrowth transportation literature is that it just makes you grumpy when you're driving and parking and in traffic. Okay. So the grump. And also as a pedestrian. Yes. I mean, I was um, I was walking somewhere today in Montreal, which is a pretty walkable city, mm-hmm. bike-friendly city. Of course, it's winter, so that you know makes that more difficult. But the first place the snow goes, this is our first winter here, so we're just kind of finding things out as we go. The first casualty is the bike lane. Yeah. we. I don't think we're going to be biking in the winter. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other one that I have is inequality. I mean, cars are expensive. That's true. And also hard to maintain, and there's a lot of status associated with cars. The other one is the obvious pollution. Of course, yeah. Noise. Noise, air, literal just oil. Leaking I, I like that you mentioned parking because I often forget about that. I like to think I'm I'm critical of a lot of the established injustices and mistakes that we have, mm-hmm. but too often I'm completely blind to them because I'm so used to them. Like mm-hmm. I don't often enough think about the fact that, of course, you know, we don't like Walmart because it's kind of this... Uh, this convenience mecca at the expense of a lot of other good things mm-hmm. in life. But its footprint is actually of the store rarely even matches the footprint of its parking lot. Mm-hmm. Like that's just as big, but we never consider that. That's taking up just as much space. It's crazy. Yeah, it's especially where we came from. There weren't a lot of parking garages. It was just you'd have a Walmart, then you'd have acres of Yeah, r- rural places. Yeah. Um, the two other ones that I have are the health impacts of cars, both on from the pollution and also from sitting in them. Mental health impacts. Yeah, certainly. for hours on end. And then finally, inefficiency. I feel like cars are very inefficient. Yeah, not even just talking on the materials used, right? Mm-hmm. Just time. Yeah. I always think that because going back to rural living, you have a highway and you have one city that everyone's going to, mm-hmm. probably thousands of cars on the road going in the same direction. Yeah. Hmm. Could this be replaced by anything that would make a little bit more sense? Yeah. So these are the parameters that I want to use as we discuss these options. Okay. I'm just going to list them all. They're mostly conventional because I didn't want to get too sci-fi. Fair enough. But maybe afterwards we can get a little bit sci-fi and think about things which... This is a safe place to discuss your ideas. The Peapod, for instance. But I'm going to start out with hot air balloons. Oh. Okay. So some of the pros I thought to this... I've never been in one. No. But something that struck me when I was reading accounts of hot air balloonists is that they're really quiet. Mm. And also you don't feel any wind because you're moving with the wind. Ah. Which is something I never I never thought about. Makes I thought sense. it'd be loud and windy up there. Yeah. But apparently once the furnace is off, you're just you're sailing. Just floating? Yeah. Okay. Hot air balloons seem quite inefficient to me because of just the size of them and I, the tiny basket. I was afraid you'd say that. Mm-hmm. But would you want to try it, though? Oh, I'd love to go in a hot air balloon. I think that'd be, like, the thrill of my life. Because I feel like I would like... I really like heights. Yes. And I like being up high. Mm-hmm. But I don't like the idea of bungee jumping or skydiving. Because I don't really like that feeling of falling. It's also a little bit more dangerous that way. Hot yeah. air balloons are actually really, really safe. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't think would be the case. You wouldn't think because you don't see them floating around. It's true. Um, one con to the hot air balloon is that you can only use them on very clear and sunny days. Yeah. So <laughs> it might be an issue. But they could replace like the leisure drive. Yeah. 
Because we often will just, oh, I'm going to go for a drive. I'm just going to. I don't like that. Go for a hot air balloon. The reason I wasn't really proposing these as a practical replacement to cars, for instance, I was just I wanted to start with them because they're a good example of putting the beauty back in the simple act of movement mm-hmm. and looking. Yeah. It's like, well, what do you do in a hot air balloon? Well, the balloon moves around and you look. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. But people love it. It captures the imagination. It's certainly on my bucket list. And too often, all we care about is speed. Yeah. You know, what about looking? Mm-hmm. What about the, the niceness of moving? Yeah. It can be nice. And it's it has been. Okay. So the next one, maybe a little bit more uh, uses, cable cars. Cable cars. Okay. I really like these. I'm not just talking about trams like in San Francisco, like on the ground. Mm. I'm talking about like ski lifts. Yeah. Things like that. Because apparently there's a lot of cities and towns in South America that have them. Mm. I think they're very useful. I think even in some instances more so than buses because they're traditionally electric as far as I know. The ones that go on the main streets because they have the little cables where they get the electricity from. Yeah. So I think it'd be easy to implement. I'm sure you and I would get frustrated with all the cables. I feel like they'd be... Oh, they're ugly. Aesthetically ugly. That's true. But they but I think they're maybe cool. ring around the city or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. And especially for... There's some instances where maybe... There would traditionally be a bridge, but there could be a little Ooh. gondola or whatever going or, across or the Or imagine um, a campus. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I got to get to my 8.30 on the engineering campus. Mm. Boop. And then you just go slowly <laughs> go down the hill because, of course, there's a hill. Yeah. That's my vision of the campus. Cool. When I was reading about the, like the trams like on the ground, those mm-hmm. are apparently just worse version of buses. Yeah. Because they... I like electric buses, but they wear out really quickly, so they require mm. a lot of maintenance. Go figure. Yeah. Tunnels and above-ground tunnels. You know I'm a tunnel girl. Are you a tunnel girl? I always used to talk about why aren't there more tunnels. Because we live in such a cold climate. That's true. We're in Canada. Where there's snow. And it's like sometimes the sidewalks, like today I didn't walk as far as you, but I walked and I was like, this seems dangerous. Like yes. I'm going to fall. Yes. But if there was just tunnels, you don't have to worry about snow. You don't have to worry about all the wear and tear of the weather. And they're also warm, so you don't have to be wearing 100 layers. And indeed, in downtown Montreal, there are mm-hmm. quite a lot of tunnels. Yeah, I think tunnels, 10 out of 10, like underground ones. Yeah. Above ground ones, I find are claustrophobic for some reason, more so than below ground ones. It feels weird. Well, I was picturing it as kind of like a temporary winter thing, winterizing. Mm-hmm. Oh, we know it's winter. They're putting up the tunnels, kind of like that. Okay, or they're putting, I see. they're putting up the... Because even when I walk in the little scaffolding covered areas, mm-hmm. those little plastic tents, yeah, it was such a respite from the weather. Yeah, for so, sure. I don't know. Not not totally, because I don't want to experience just darkness on a walk, even mm-hmm. in the winter. Yeah. But in uh, in high traffic areas, maybe. Yeah, and it would certainly enable more people to walk because it's just inaccessible because of how gross the sidewalks get. And also those uh, sky bridges, are they called? Between mm-hmm. buildings. Yeah. I love that. I think having a super connected city makes sense. If you could just get around the whole downtown, mm-hmm. never touching the ground. Yeah. And both cool. of us love being outside, obviously. And yeah. as I, I'm sure we'll get to when we talk about bikes and walking, there's a lot of benefits of being outside. Spoilers, yeah. But <laughs> I think in areas like this where it's really cold and like really bad weather, it makes sense to have options for getting around outside of the elements, but also not in a car. I guess I didn't mention Subway, but I'm going to talk about that here. Okay. Subways are cool. Yeah, I think they're great. Yeah, I think they're very good. 
That's I think subways it. are kind of the solution of like, well, even buses sometimes are going to get stuck in the snow. Well, there's subways. Yeah, but I think subways are kind of like hydro electric energy mm-hmm. in that there's not that much to talk about because maybe the places which are suited for a subway already have yeah. one, probably. Yeah, certainly. It's not, that's the thing about transportation. It's like trams might work super well in some places where buses maybe just aren't going to do the trick. Yeah, but, but something I wanted to talk about in this episode is this idea that that idea of localized transportation, oh, we have a river, we're going to use a river. Yeah. We have mountains, we're going to use a ski lift. Used to be, mm. used to make a lot of sense. But maybe a hundred years ago, they decided we're just going to have cars everywhere. We're just yeah. going to pave everything. You know, they pave paradise. Mm-hmm. And put up a parking lot. I kind of mentioned this idea last week on our food episode that we have considered our culture to be beyond the ideas of a harvest, a growing season. Mm-hmm. And now we're just completely disconnected from those processes. Yeah. But in the, in that process of quote unquote moving forward, we've ignored the fact that those cycles of growing, planting, harvesting is what culture is. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's what culture is. And it's kind of like the same with transport. Mm. You know, if we just have everything be cars on a road, mm-hmm. your your traversal culture is uh is very quickly eroded. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Next up, walking slash parkour. Oh, and parkour. Yeah. Did a little bit of that today. Did you do a little bit of parkour? I slipped. Yeah, a lot of slipping. <laughs> a lot of slipping today. I think walking is the way. It's mm. like we need to build our cities to be walkable first and foremost. Yeah. And then, okay, we need some buses. Okay, we need some trains connecting the cities, some subways. Like, But walking needs to be the foundation because even biking is challenging for some people. And bike infrastructure is more resource intensive than walking infrastructure. Yeah. I don't want to mire us down with practical stuff. Yeah. Because we are talking about an imaginary perfect future, which is the solar mm-hmm. scene for those listeners who are unaware but maybe we should get a little bit deeper into this idea that we should build walkable cities Mm -hmm. because from what i look at the future i don't think it's about building new cities no it's not about building new cities so what we should say is priority should be changing existing cities to be more walkable Mm -hmm. which is obviously not so catchy but uh more accurate Mm -hmm. actually maybe that should be a question for next week yeah how can we make infrastructure more walkable yeah I remember this this tweet I read a couple of weeks ago, which I haven't stopped thinking about, which is one of the main reasons Americans like the college experience is because it's the only time in their life they live in a walkable community. Mm-hmm. And I felt that so hard. Yeah, for because sure. Because that's most of what I miss about being in university, legitimately, yeah. is just having everything within walking distance. Mm-hmm. It's a great life. Yeah. <laughs> Bicycles. Bikes. I love bikes. But as we've Learned overnight, as the weather changed, you cannot bike in all weather. That's true. But I do think bikes are going to play a big role in the solo scene because along with walking, you're being active. And we live lives which we don't get to be active as much as we used to mm. because we're not farming, we're not walking to work, we're not... Fighting. Fighting, yeah. So I think biking and walking are really great ways to maintain respiratory and cardiac health (laughs) psa from alicia today yeah (laughs) and i don't mean it in like a bad way i don't mean like oh everyone needs to get out there and start walking and biking or else you're all gonna die like i (laughs) like i'm not being like aggressive about it but i just mean it's so leisurely it's not a race it's not like going to the gym where there's such pressure and anxiety in the air which (laughs) you like but i don't like 
it's so useful and practical yeah. but also good for you and um what i like about bike lanes is that there's no speed limits at least mm -hmm. where we are so you can go as slow as you want yeah. actually i mean you might get dinged at yes. someone might might pass you and yell something but you can just chill you can you can choose your own pace choose your own adventure and really that can also replace the leisure drive maybe mm -hmm. i'm just gonna go out for a drive i'm just gonna go out for a little bike ride yeah for sure because often when we think about cyclists and people who go on bike rides we're thinking about spandex mm -hmm. and people take it really seriously yeah with really really big quads mm. but i wouldn't say we're really those people no but we love going on bike rides so that you can just look out especially um one of my favorite memories is when we went to a campsite and we were on this hiking trail mm -hmm. and we commandeered it with our bicycles yeah and it was also really dark yeah so that was rather dangerous mm. but it was fun yeah because you could feel the ground underneath you yeah. smell the campfire in the air and see all the trees whooshing by and there's i'm sure if there were more bikes on the road which there will be in the future you have to be a little bit more aware than we are right now i feel like right <laughs> now we just kind of <laughs> ride and assume people will get out of the way <laughs> there's such an adventure to it yeah for i feel sure. like a modern day cowboy yeah riding into the sunset that's my steed mm -hmm. your steed is called topaz that is the name of my bike <laughs> what's the next one uh human flight and this encompasses <laughs> i'm not talking about growing wings but i just had this thought why aren't we progressing to the point that we can zip around a little bit more maybe this one's a bit too sci-fi a little bit sci-fi, a little bit like seems like it's going in the opposite direction. But I see what you mean in like efficiency. Like instead no, of cars, I'm just, we just thinking have... about fun. I'm just thinking about beauty of it. Okay. The 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 adventure, the exhilaration. So I was looking into it. Okay. And we're not really close. Okay. But some of the methods I thought we could discuss: mm -hmm. jetpacks. Okay. Wing suits, like mm -hmm. the flying squirrel suits. Yes. Wings. <laughs> Goodness. Okay. Have you ever seen videos of the wingsuits? Yes. What do you think to them? They look absolutely terrifying. Okay, imagine this. Oh, no, we're on the second floor. Oh, I have to let the Amazon <laughs> delivery guy in. He's calling my phone. I have to go downstairs and open the delivery door to let him in. Mm -hmm. You have to take the elevator or the slow stairs. Instead, what if you just jump off the balcony, balcony and go whoop, like that? Okay. Or if you lived on the top of a hill but you need to get to the grocery store on the bottom. Okay. You could glide. Yeah. Do you think anything like that will ever become practical? Because I think it could. I could see it. You'd have to wear a helmet like on, on a bicycle. But it doesn't seem in line with degrowth <laughs> in the slightest. Why not? Because everything's more close. Okay. I, I understand. Everything's more close. <laughs> Um, it's more fun, more okay. beautiful. I'll, I can see you don't like it. Bus. Bus. Let okay. me guess, you like that. I like bus. <laughs> Buses are my friend. Because the thing with degrowth is it's about rebuilding community and cars are the antithesis of community. It's true. They just promote individualism, whereas buses are a community. You know, the person who's on the bus at the same time as you every day, the bus driver knows you. You're not best friends, mm. but if you knew they were in trouble, you'd probably help them. Did you ever go on the school bus? A little bit. Because I think a lot of North American opinion towards public transit, mm -hmm. and this thought's just coming to me now actually, is shaped almost entirely by the school bus experience. 
The school bus experience almost ruined my... Everybody hates, right? Yeah. And for the most part, I would say, is because it's taking you to school. Yeah. I was also (laughs) always bullied on the bus for some reason. Well, it's it's a lawless arena. You know, there's There's no no teachers. teachers. There's no... It's international waters, really. Mm. (laughs) It really is. For for no reason, because you'd get off the school bus and everything would be fine, but on it, it would just be a ruckus. Where it seems like the adult buses, it's the opposite. The, yeah. Everything's so much stricter. Mm-hmm. When I read that you can't eat on them, mm. I'm so confused. Or drink. It's true. But I think buses are cool. I don't know that they're the, the future. I feel like there might be some pod-type, new-age yeah. community transport that comes into fashion well it does it does depend on the place like we were saying some cities a subway underground is completely impractical Mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense to have one Mm -hmm. probably going to rely more on buses yeah for sure some places that have really big like a really spread out city Mm -hmm. uh, urban sprawl yeah buses can be helpful for those i think yeah, I think cities can be still a little bit spread. They don't need to be just these like super, super dense areas. Yeah. But like creating basically points on a on a web and not having stuff all the way along of just like, okay, we have our city and we have these kind of self-sufficient things surrounding it, but there's the buses connecting the city to the self-sufficient communities and so on. It's true. You had a unique bus experience a few times where we used to live in Nova Scotia where you would take an hour-long bus ride, hour and a half, two hours into the city? It was very long. How long was it? Three hours. And there was an hour and a half drive on a car. Right. But it stopped along the way. You so were a teenager, so you had no yeah. car. <laughs> so yeah. you just take the bus. Yeah, but what I always thought was if more people were taking this, it wouldn't be three hours. It'd That's be an true. hour and a half because there'd be more of them going. And it's like, why would you want more buses on the road? It would take like 50 cars off the road. That's called a coach, right? That's more of a yeah. coach-like. Um, so that would take the highway. So maybe it's more relevant for my next point, which is trains. Mm-hmm. That could just be replaced by a train. Yeah, I think so. I probably shouldn't be having to take a what would be an hour and a half in a car mm-hmm. on a bus on yeah. a highway. Yeah, I think uh, I think trains make more sense because train tracks are so much more versatile, less intrusive, it seems, than highways. Yeah, that's true. Much faster than buses, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. And North America is so... So good for trains. I mean, it was it's, built around a railroad. It's so poised for trains. Yeah. When my mom told me, there's this, like, right next to my house, there's this train station. And I always asked my mom growing up, I was like, why isn't this a train station anymore? Mm. And she said it used to be. Like, it was built in, like, the 70s, only operated for, like, two or three years, then shut down because there was a concerted effort. We're going to shut down the trains, build more roads. and it always was sad to me because you could have just I could have just got on the bus next to my house yeah. and gone to see you. But no, have to not the bus, the train. But no. Now you had to drive. Yeah. Way less efficient, way less accessible. I often fantasize about running away on a train. Mm-hmm. Like hitchhiking. Yeah. I still get really excited every time there's a train right by our apartment. Every time mm-hmm. that comes by twice a day. Yeah. I love watching it. It squeals really loudly. Mm-hmm. But I get really excited because there's this idea that oh, this comes from Across Mm. the country, possibly, which is really fun. Even where you used to live, there was a little uh, bench overlooking a train track, which would come a few times a day carrying coal, Mm -hmm. which wasn't so nice. But it was still, there's such a romance to it. Yeah. Hogwarts, 
Yeah, I mean, trains seem ancient, but they also yeah. seem futuristic at the same time. Exactly, of course, as uh, the maglev trains and electric trains. Mm-hmm. So to your point about efficiency, they're almost certainly the best, the most apt solution. Um, planes. I think there'll be planes in the future, but we'll just have less of an obsession with efficiency, as I've said probably like 10 times in this episode. And so, oh, your holiday isn't only a week long in the year like you're gonna have more time off so you can take your time getting to where you're going if you're going on holiday oh, yeah. okay you're not gonna be zipping around for business like we have the internet you don't need to go here yeah i was um i was looking up because i wanted to know a breakdown and 12 to 15 percent of travelers every year are just through business mm-hmm. and the other fact i wanted to know was the average length of a flight mm-hmm. so i was like what could these be replaced by yeah are we looking at really long distance stuff mm-hmm. and in the usa the average flight is about 495 miles, which is about a six and a half hour drive. So really efficient, like a train would just be better. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of places in Europe where a train is quicker than a a Mm -hmm. flight, right? Yeah, for sure. Because like trains can go super fast. Yeah. And so can planes, but you can get up and walk around on the train. Much more comfortable than a plane. Much better for the planet because they're not emitting super high up in the atmosphere. Yeah. I was also curious about how many people... Because to me, flights are still a rich person thing. Yeah. I've phoned a few times, but it's not a regular mm-hmm. part of my life. And it said that pre-COVID, there was an average of 4.4 billion passengers per year. What? Yeah, which is crazy to me. I never take a flight. Like, I've probably taken three. Well, the thing is, there's people who fly hundreds of times a year. Yeah, I guess. I mean, um, think about even athletes. Mm-hmm. They're always flying around all over the place. That's true. I want, wish I knew like the percent of people who flew every year. Oh, I'm sure it's not very much. No, it's like super low. So it's just like, but they're so responsible for so many emissions. Yeah. You'd have such like a much greater appreciation for place if you had to take a train versus when you're like flying over like a continent or you're flying over 10 states. Mm-hmm. Like you have no appreciation for the space you're passing through. I don't think... Planes are inherently bad. I think they're 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 an engineering feat. I think yeah. they're in, they're incredible, but I also know it's not like the family who takes a a flight to Disney World, which is the problem. Yeah, it's the businessman who flies like 160 times a year, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of those people. Yeah, I, I mean, I personally enjoy flying. It's I think it's a really fun experience. Yeah, and then for the next category, I just kind of lumped in personal fun stuff. So mm. in this I'm including skateboards, rollerblades, scooters. Pogo sticks, mm-hmm. those little that they called hovercrafts but weren't really hovercrafts, mm-hmm. those things, those little wheel things, yeah, etc. What do you think to those little toys? I think those are great. I love when they come into style, like when <laughs> the one wheels and the hoverboards came into style. Like this is fun. It seems retro. It seems <laughs> like it's something that's truly childlike. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And I feel like kids these days are not childlike they're like oh, i want an iphone for christmas when they're like i want a one wheel for christmas it's like oh man it's a new one wheel it's like, <laughs> like that's that. cool that's cool you get here one wheel and then you can tell when they when you see them on them mm-hmm. that they know that they're cool and they know yeah. that everyone's looking at them yeah exactly <laughs> i really want one of those for christmas by the way okay boats boats 10 out of 10 this is the final boats are 10 out of 10 really i like boats a lot so i was looking when i was looking into planes i was like but can we have electric planes mm-hmm. and the answer is not really. Not for a long time. Yeah, not yet. Um, but boats, those can just be electric. They can be wind-powered. Yeah, I know. But I'm talking about <laughs> about uh, like 
crossing the ocean. Yeah, I know. Because I would love to cross the ocean in a boat. Mm-hmm. Do a Titanic. Yes. Hope we're not, you know. Bad choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> um, takes about six to eight days mm-hmm. you can get across the Atlantic. I know. I looked into it. You want to go? I want to go. Well, there's this thing where you can just um, hitch a ride on a cargo ship, right? Mm-hmm. That sounds... It's super expensive right now. I know. But I think it would be cool. And if more people were doing it, the price would go down. Well, the issue is we also want to reduce that kind of international trade. True. So not sure how many cargo ships will be going. Yeah, but I think clean boats crossing the ocean, not like cruises where they're polluting a ton. Just like... If instead of airlines, essentially, we have yeah. boat lines. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, I think it has a lot of potential. I agree, but uh, they definitely have to become much more eco-friendly. Yeah, boats aren't really great for the environment right now in that way. Yeah. I mean, like your sailboat and your rowboat aren't bad for the environment. But your but cruise ship and your cargo ship... Definitely are. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Speaking of butterflies, mm-hmm. the organism of the week this week is called the brimstone butterfly or mm-hmm. Gonopteryx remni. And it's a really beautiful looking butterfly. I wanted to choose this type, this type of animal because... Well, why do you think? Because you love flight. I love flight. And you want to make transportation and movement beautiful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's another thing about the butterfly, if you can think about it. Think about his life cycle. Their chrysalis. Yes. Phase. And what does that remind you of? The pods. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't thinking about the pods. I was thinking about the second part of this episode, which is about to come up, uh, education. Oh, that makes much because more sense. Because we come into school as these disgusting, <laughs> <laughs> crawling, creeping caterpillars. But we come out of it, or we should, the most graceful, majestic creatures you've ever seen. Mm. So here's, a, here's an image. Aww, that's so pretty. You can describe it. Okay, sorry, <laughs> just me admiring it. So it's these lime green wings with the caterpillar body. Half of it is a gray fuzz. The other half is a little green traditional caterpillar tail. Yeah. It has a little red antenna and then just some dots. To scare off other predators into thinking that they're eyeballs. Yeah, I don't think the picture really shows it very well, but it's um, it's camouflage, right, for leaves. Yeah. So it's like the wings have those little veins in them that look like mm-hmm. leaves. I'm sure veins aren't the correct uh, terminology. It might be. But I I love butterflies and dragonflies and moths. Mm-hmm. I Those are just always some of my favorite animals. Every time I see those in the wild, I love it. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite memories is when we went to like an enclosure yes. with a bunch of really exotic moths. Butterflies and moths, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was very pretty. And they were huge. They were chunky. It was kind of scary, but also really awesome. Yeah. But the way they move, when you see a butterfly, you have to stop and watch it. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel anyway. Um, So these guys, the brimstones, pretty common, decreasing a little bit, but they have a really wide habitat, so Mm. they're going to be safe, thankfully. Found all across Eurasia, especially in wetlands, because... It relies on two species of buckthorn plants as hosts for its lava. Mm. Very nice. The adults feed on flower nectar. I know Probably. that's like a common thing about butterflies. Yeah. But when I just say that sentence, yeah. they feed on flower nectar. It's like, that's, they're just those little divine beings. They are. I wish I could do that. Maybe I can. I don't know. Um, they only live for about 10 months to a year, which is mm. sad. Also, I know I really make myself sound very ignorant on this podcast often when i talk <laughs> when i talk about the things that surprise me but i didn't realize they had predators that include birds i didn't realize that birds eat butterflies that just seems oh, your your innocence I, you've seen that 
I know it. I know that they eat like caterpillars. No, I know they eat butterflies. That seems so wild to me. Yeah. I'm starting to go off birds a little bit. I used to love them, but now I'm starting to question those boys a little bit. Stay back. (laughs) The transformation of caterpillars to butterflies, this again just makes me sound like a fool, but it just blows my mind. (laughs) That is pretty crazy. They just seem like two different, not like two different species, but like two different, they occupy two different worlds. Mm -hmm. So why, how do these exist together? Yeah. It's a very interesting phenomenon that happens in nature. We don't see it often if ever in nature that like in our daily lives you don't see these birds turning into like snakes like it's not a no only in the bible yeah where i used to work we had like a monarch butterfly hutch every Mm -hmm. year where they would all cocoon Mm -hmm. and it was really fun because every time a customer would go in there and open it just all the butterflies would go out Mm -hmm. it was really beautiful yeah that's about what i had on them great so now on to education which is my passion. So I'm going to keep it brief and perhaps pick it up next week with a little bit more detail. What I wanted to use as an example for degrowth education is something that already exists for this episode to give you guys an introduction and then we'll go into a bit more depth. So the Waldorf education method exists and it's basically this alternative mode for educating children of all ages. So a Waldorf school is characterized by A lot of different ages joining together in one school. So I used to, I didn't work with them directly, but I kind of helped volunteer with some of their programs at a Waldorf school. And it was a primary to grade eight, but it can go all the way up to grade 12. And their mission statement is to create free thinking, morally responsible individuals with a high degree of social competence and creative capabilities. Sounds like a good goal. Sounds like the goal that all schools should have. Yeah. But this is unique as we know from going through the education system and it's unique to this schooling method which I think is really neat and they achieved this by putting an emphasis on storytelling experimentation a lot of hands-on creative work mm. my favorite part like one of my favorite memories from working with the school was I was working with this like organic farm which is a part of Waldorf education organic farming which we talked about last week we think should be a part of all education is farming. Yeah. So I was working with the farm side of it and they were winnowing. So that's when you basically take a bunch of stalks of wheat, and you thrash them, and then all of the wheat falls off of the stalks. And as they're with, they, that's not the winnowing, but anyway, as they were thrashing them, they were singing these like traditional folk songs. Mm. And I was just like, this is so beautiful. Because it was always fun in music class when you'd like, all know a song and then you'd all kind of sing it together yeah there is a beauty to that working in harmony in unison with other people musically i've I've never really considered that image but that's a very that's a very very strong concept which is almost Mm -hmm. completely uh, absent from most people's work lives today yeah so something like the waldorf thing they do is in grade eight or so the whole class gets together and they write a drama and they perform it yeah for the teachers and the parents. And is I was this like, That's like a so privileged great. school? Is this a private school? The, the key to Waldorf is that it's not like anyone could apply to okay. like go. It's not paid, I don't think. Um, it, it was founded by this guy in Germany who he owned this like toothpaste factory or whatever. And he wanted all the kids to get this education that was equal. So anyone who's 
worked at his factory. All the kids went to his school, no matter class or whatever. Yeah. So that's like a fundamental principle. It was one of the first schools that did that. Mm. The schools used to be very classist. Well, I think they still are. Yeah, they definitely are. That's something for this little mini topic on education that we're going to be talking about probably over the next few weeks that I want to keep front and center. I think historically you can probably point to a lot of very interesting, very productive, very positive education methods like you were pointing out with this Waldorf Mm -hmm. that have been reserved for Mm -hmm. the upper class. Yeah. I think the task of our lives, Mm -hmm. you know, is not exactly about pioneering new education methods. Mm -hmm. It's about using technology. Yeah. And how would you say compassion? Yes. (laughs) to, to, um, To ensure that these types of educational methods are engaged with by all sorts of students. Yeah, and just the standard, like, I don't think... Raise the standard. You can imagine any harm if all, like, overnight, every school was Waldorf. Like, I don't think any harm would come from that. No. (laughs) You know? So I think it's a good thing to learn about. A couple other things about the Waldorf method, because I think this whole thing sums it up, is that the four main subjects are math, science, history, and art. So that isn't that different from the standard. Well, if they're weighted like 25, 25, 25, 25, then that's very different. True. (laughs) They are weighted like that. (laughs) And how they do it, which I found super neat and I didn't even realize, is that they don't do each day the four subjects. Okay. They do four to six weeks, two hours in the morning of math. Then the next six weeks are science and like different subjects each time because it's not a full school year. So it's like, okay, we're doing calculus this week. Mm. Next week, we're going to do It's probably body. better for learning each topic, right? Right, because <laughs> then you can engage with it. And they do like the two hours of like the science or the math or history in the morning. And the rest of the day is exploring with the same topic, but through, okay, we're going to be quilting. We're going to be doing music, games. And so it's like reinforcing this topic in so many different ways. That's definitely how we're meant to learn. We're not supposed to have like 10 topics in a day. I never understood that. Can you um, can you point to any examples you had in your education that were like this, that you found beneficial at the time? Yeah. I was fortunate to do IB. IB, which is a international baccalaureate program is what it stands for. And it's another teaching method which is used all over the world from all different ages but in my school it was just grade 11 and 12 so it's in grade 11 and 12 like a university prep program way harder than anything I did in university yeah which was kind of nice to get it over with in high school but it is very interdisciplinary for the most part like in normal schools mine was very science heavy but you have to do community service you have to do something creative you have to do two languages that's another thing about Waldorf. They do three languages. Um, you have to do a lot of different projects and the exams are mandated. It's a lot more of a global syllabus. There's nothing localized, mm. which I don't think is necessarily a degrowth principle. I don't think IB is the future, but that's just a summary of what IB is, Yeah. which not everyone gets to do. And I had this one teacher, she was my French teacher, but she also taught yoga at the school. So when we were doing French, we'd go up to the yoga studio, which like she had two classrooms. And we would stretch while practicing French, while doing French homework. (laughs) And she'd like lead us in yoga, but she would do it in French. Or she'd literally like, we'd have our homework on our mats. Wow. And we'd do a yoga flow with, while doing our homework. Like, I know it sounds kind of weird, 
but it was just so effective. I learned way more French in those six months than I learned at any other point in my life. And I've been doing it since. Could you just recite the Waldorf goal again? The mission yeah, statement? This is paraphrased. Uh, free thinking, morally responsible, individuals with high degree of social competence and creative capabilities. This is kind of a cynical exercise, but let's try and like parody that with what we think our school's uh, mission statement <laughs> would have been. I would say to occupy the time of the students. Because that's often what I think school boils down to is it's a kind of babysitting. It's a kind of, well, you know, the kids are here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My experience was to put out the light of every individual, no matter their potential. <laughs> but I, think, I don't <laughs> think that's the goal. I just think that's the, I know. that's the side effect. That's the side effect, my goodness. Because even the kids who love school, by the end of it. You don't. You don't. You don't love school. You don't love learning. You don't love anything. You just are like, let me get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think occupying time is a big part of it. But I mean, for the first like six years of your schooling, your parents literally have no other option. Like your yeah, parents we, need to we work. We have to, we, you know, it's too easy to be like, well, you know, I don't think people blame parents, but to blame school boards to say, well, this could all be done in this amount of time or you could do this, mm -hmm. this differently or like the different time uh, thing that you were saying. Mm -hmm. But everything is so standardized. Everything takes so long. Mm -hmm. I mean, the days could really be at least half as long. Yeah. And everything is so unimaginative, really. I think mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a function of economics. It's not even the most optimistic school board members think that public curriculums in North America are exceptional. They're just like, well, yeah, but we have to babysit. You know, it, yeah. it has to be like this. So you can't really address education in a vacuum, unfortunately. Mm. And I think because also there's there's a lot of questions about what should kids learn in school? What should kids learn out of school? Yeah. Basically. So um, that might be a good jumping off point for next week. I think that is a good place to wrap up this episode. Launch into next week's. You can go back and listen to the rest of our episodes on degrowth leading up to this. It's kind of a whole semester and if you're interested, you can buy our zine, mm -hmm. which is a handmade, really nice paper, strung together booklet of ideas and essays, poetry, photography, all about degrowth. And it works pretty well as an accompaniment to this podcast or just as like a standalone introduction to it. Be a great Christmas gift. Perhaps. Just throwing that out there. That's at www.solacene.org. It's in the description. Also in the description is the links to our emails. If you want to contact us with comments, criticism, love notes, okay, photos, just to say hello, mm -hmm. we're pretty lonely. Yeah, we're always open to talk. Bye. <laughs>